What is it just now that is your most pressing concern? What is it today just now that is your most pressing concern? If we in here as a congregation, if we were given insight into your thought life over the first part of uh, July 2016, what is it that we would find? What is it that has been preoccupying your thinking over the past number of weeks? What is it? Is it something about your health? Has that been playing on your mind? Is it something about your family? Is it something about your relationships? Or is it just that holiday uh, that you've got coming up on the horizon? What is it just now, today, in here, right now, that is your most pressing concern? Well, this morning, what we're going to do for a short time together is to consider what is for every single one of us in this room the most important matter in our lives just now. This is a topic, whether or not we're Christians, a topic whether we realize it or not, this is a topic that transcends all others in terms of its importance and its significance. What's this topic What is this subject? Well, this morning, we're going to consider our relationship with Almighty God. For a moment, just now, whether we are a Christian or not, we are going to consider how it is that you and I stand today before the all-powerful triune creator of the heavens and the earth. Our, your relationship with God. And to do this, what we're going to do is look at this chapter in Esther chapter 5. So I would ask you, as I do every week, to please have this portion of Scripture open in front of you. To turn with me just now to Esther chapter 5 and page 504 of your Bible. To have that there. And what we'll do is look at three very simple headings. We'll look at this chapter through three headings. The first of which is simply sovereign acceptance. Let's see what we see here about sovereign acceptance. Okay, was there ever a time in your life, (coughs) excuse me, where you tuned into soap operas? Did you ever do that? Was it one of the mistakes of your youth? When my brother uh, and I were much younger, what we used to do every evening is sit with our evening meal in front of neighbours and uh, home and away every evening without fail, I'm ashamed to say. Well, if you've done something like that in your life, then you know how it works, don't you? You switch, sit down, you switch on the soap opera, and you remember that last time out, the last episode, invariably it ended in a bit of a cliffhanger, didn't it? Isn't that how it always works with these soap operas? It's nine times out of ten. Life things on a knife edge. Well, come on. Isn't that uh, what this portion of the book of Esther is like? Do you see what I mean by that? Like, if you were here last time, do you remember what happened in the last episode? We left things at a crucial, crucial moment, didn't we? Do you remember what had happened? Do you? The Persian king Xerxes, he had issued a decree announcing the impending destruction, wait for it, 
of every single Jew in the Persian Empire. So a genocide, you know, an annihilation of all Jews. Now remember that. What else did we see last time out, last episode? Yeah, that's right. Mordecai. Do you remember? Mordecai the Jew, at last he had managed to persuade his cousin Esther, the Persian queen, he persuaded her to get involved and to intercede for her people with the king. But here's the thing. How did the episode end? Do you remember last time out? You know, the credits roll, the music starts. What was the last thing that we saw? Wow. We saw Esther head off unannounced to see the king. Something, remember, we saw as being unlawful. This was something that risked almost certain death. So you see, this is a cliffhanger. We are biting our nails as we end the last episode. So what happens here? We switch on this next episode. What happens? Well, friends, do you know what? Praise God for what happened. Because as King Xerxes, he looks up from his throne and he sees, you know, the doors open and he sees his wife enter. Now, this is crucial. Listen to me. He sees her enter dressed appropriately for him. You notice she puts on the royal robes. And what does he do? Does he command her immediate death as we are expecting? Is that what he does? No, it's not what he does. He leans the golden scepter forward and he permits his wife to speak. (laughs) Relief, you see. Praise God. The first obstacle to the saving of the Jewish people, the first obstacle, it has been overcome. Praise God. Friends, let me cut to the chase. As you come into this church today, how is your soul? Are you saved? Are you a Christian? Are you here today worshipping God and worshipping him through the person and the work of his son, Jesus Christ? Are you a Christian? If so, surely you see, do you not, a lesson in the scene in the Persian throne room? Do you not? See, there is, let me say, today, perhaps as there always has been, there is a problem in the church in the modern church. And it's the problem of our despair. You see what I mean by that? Like many of us in here, we are so downbeat. We are so despondent about our spiritual lives, are we not? We are despondent about, about the way we are living as Christians. Now, one cause of that ailment, friends... It is a deficient view of how we understand our status before Almighty God. I wonder if you see what I mean. If not, follow me on this. See if this sounds familiar to you. As a Christian today, we think, okay, well, yes, God loves us. Of course God loves us. But actually, because of the way I'm living just now, God is thoroughly displeased with me. Does that sound familiar to you? Does it? Do we think, well, yes, God loves us. Of course he does in Christ. God loves us. And one day in heaven, one day in glory, wow, we are going to experience the the realities, the joys of that love. But see just now, because of the way that I'm living, because of this habitual sin and the way that I'm straying from God, oh, God is so annoyed with me. God is so angry with me. 
Friend, as a Christian, is that how you were thinking just now? Is it? Let me tell you, you're wrong. Because you see this scene in this Persian courtroom. This scene of a sovereign looking up from his throne and seeing his wife approach his bride and it filling him with joy. Do you see what that is? That is how you stand today in Christ Jesus before your God, before your sovereign, before your king. Isn't that amazing in Christ Jesus? Isn't it? That even with all the baggage we have, see, even with all of the problems in your life just now, and all of the feelings, God looks at you today and it fills him with joy and delight and pleasure. What is it? We read in Zephaniah that God will look over us and look over us with loud singing. Isn't that awesome? Do you see? Your life in Christ brings God such joy, it brings him to song. Now, of course, you are entitled to ask, how can that be? Come on. How can that be? Given the sinfulness of the past week, you know what I mean. Given the way that I've strayed, how can it be that my life possibly brings delight to a holy God? Well, if you're a Christian this morning, maybe you see the answer to that, do you? It's because today, in here, like Esther, you stand appropriately dressed for your king. Don't you? Do you see that that's true? Do you see that what Christ has done in your conversion, he has come to you, he's looked at you, he's come to you, and he has clothed you in his own robes of righteousness, his own robes of holiness, and now in Christ Jesus, and all because of Christ Jesus, you stand appropriately dressed before your sovereign and before your king. Isn't it marvelous how we should praise Christ for that? But there's still a lesson here. See, do this with me for a moment. Go back to that Persian courtroom, that throne room in your mind. It's quite a scene, isn't it? But imagine for a second it had panned out like this. Imagine that Xerxes, he looks up from his throne. He sees Esther come forward. He smiles. He doesn't pronounce death. He smiles. He leans the scepter forward. He says to her, My dear, what is it you want? Ask me for anything. What is it you want? Now, imagine at that point there, Esther had said this. Imagine that Esther had said nothing. Not a word. With all of her people depending on her for her intercession. Imagine that in that throne room, she had said absolutely nothing. Do you see where we're going with this? Do you see it? Isn't that where we are today? Isn't that what many of us are like today? We too have a royal acceptance. We too, you too in Christ Jesus, have the ear of your king. And isn't it true that despite all the people in your life and in my life who are desperately lost and desperately depending on us for our intercession, what do we do? Despite all that, we say nothing. 
and we do not pray as we should for these lost souls. Isn't that right? Isn't it? Friend, I would urge you to do two things this morning in light of Esther chapter 5. One, I would urge you, if you're a Christian this morning, you rejoice. Like in this worship service, you rejoice. Rejoice in your standing in Christ Jesus. Rejoice simply in the very fact that your spiritual relationship with God today, it is healthier than you know. Rejoice in that fact. The other thing, I would urge you to use that beautiful communion you have with your king and to use it to pray. Friends, let us increasingly approach God's throne of grace and to do so with confidence. Why would we do that? We would do that to intercede for those out there who are desperately in need of his deliverance. We see here sovereign acceptance. Okay, second thing, a second heading that we see in Esther 5 is strategic engagement. Strategic engagement. (coughs) My wife loves to tell a story. She loves to tell a story. Every night at the end of the evening, I'll sort of say to my wife, oh, so how has your day been? And that will usher it in. It shall begin, you know, a full dramatization of the day's events and every detail will be relayed. Every word will be retold. And I will, eventually, by the end of this, I'll be sitting on the edge of my seat, you know, such as the drama of the story. I'll be like, so what happened? How did this this resolve itself, you know? A wonderful storyteller is my wife. But wait a minute. Is that not the case in Esther 5? Do you see what I mean? The tension here. And in particular, the tension for Xerxes is quite something, isn't it? Now think about it. He has looked up. Think about it from his point of view. He's looked up. He's seen his wife approach. Now, no one did this. No one did this. No one entered the king's presence unannounced. And so you can see he is he is keen to find out what is going on. He is keen to ask Esther, what are you doing? Like, what has happened here that you are willing to risk your life? What is going on? Why are you here? And wait a minute, what is this? How does she respond to this? You must have noticed it, did you? You know, think about the tension, everything building here. Why? What does she do? She delays her response. Aren't you scratching your head a little bit with that one? You know, she kind of spins it out a little bit. She says to him, well, actually, tell you what. If you and your friend, Haman, if you come to a banquet that I'm prepared for you, I will tell you then. You see it? She spins this out, isn't it? Isn't it strange? But let's roll with it, okay? Let's go to that later banquet. Now, you can see the later banquet. There's lots of food there. It's a proper party. And I want you to see, and again, this is crucial, it's public. These banquets were public, so there is a lot of people at this banquet. And the once the wine flows... You can see that Xerxes wants to get down to business. He's like, okay, right, okay, you've had your fun, Esther, but I'm on the edge of my seat here, and I really, really want to know, why did you risk your life? Like, what has happened here to make you do this? What is going on? And 
to see. Like you and I are expecting, now we're thinking, surely she must tell him. But what does she do again? Did you see it? Again, she delays. So again, she says to him, I'll tell you what, I know that I promised to tell you at this banquet, but here's how we're going to play this. If you and your friend Haman, if you come to another banquet, then I'll tell you. Then I'll tell you what this is all about. Now, surely you are asking the same question that everyone asks of Esther chapter 5. Surely you're asking, what is Esther doing? You know, what, what is this about? Why on earth is she delaying things as she does? I want you to see this. I want you to see that what Esther is doing there is a work of genius. I want you to see that what she's doing in delaying matters like this is she's maneuvering Xerxes into place. Do you see that? By delaying things, by getting him, as I am with my wife, to sit on the edge of the seat like this, that she is actually positioning the king so she will have him exactly where she wants him to be. Now, are you thinking about this? you following it through. Think about what it is that she achieves. Now, first time out, in the first question, Xerxes says, what is it you want? He's made that sort of throwaway, almost empty, stereotypical phrase we've looked at before. Oh, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. But how does she respond? She says, well, if it pleases the king, come to a banquet. So we understand that's fine. Okay, second time around, though. Come on, second time around. We're at this later banquet, Okay. Xerxes asks her again, how does it play out? Did you notice the difference? She's delayed things. She's spun it out. The language is different. In verse 7, she doesn't say, if it pleases the king, come to the banquet. Verse 7, she says, if it pleases the king to grant my petition. Now, let me read it to you how it is. Literally, it's like this. She says, second time around, after he's on the edge of his seat, you know, he's wondering, come on, what's going on here? She says, since it is that you are clearly granting my request, come to the banquet. Do you see the difference? This isn't come to the banquet and I'll tell you what I want. This has come to the banquet since in this public sphere you have publicly agreed to grant whatever it is I wish. Do you see how clever it is? Do you see what it is that Esther's doing? She, by piquing Xerxes' interest and curiosity, by stringing him along, by kind of reeling him in here, she's got the the king here to publicly pledge that he will grant whatever it is that Esther is about to ask. It's genius. Do you see that it's genius? It is actually Esther who is in control. And I think because of that, again, there is a lesson for you and I as Christians in this. See, we've seen, if you've been part of LCPC over the last number of weeks in Esther, we've seen very, very clearly